You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, Ankit Panda from New York City. And this is Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining me as usual, Prashant. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Doing very well. Doing very well. And uh, we're here today to uh, talk a bit about Pakistan, uh, which uh, we do come around to a fair bit on our geopolitics podcast. And uh, Pakistan has naturally seen uh, a significant change in leadership, uh, to put it lightly, recently. Um, Just on Saturday, uh, August 18th, um, this past weekend, uh, Imran Khan, the former cricketer and the leader of Pakistan, Tariq Saf, a uh, party that had once sort of been on the fringe of Pakistani politics, uh, was sworn in as the country's new prime minister after a uh, historic election on July 25th uh, that wasn't without its fair share of controversies about the extent to which it was truly a uh, free and fair uh, exercise of democracy in that country. Uh, but remarkably, Pakistan does appear to have conducted its uh, second consecutive transition of power from one civilian government to another in its history. Uh, Pakistan's history has been beset with multiple military coups. Um, it's been sort of an uneasy relationship between the country's civilian leaders and the military. And certainly that became true under the previous government of the Pakistan Muslim League and uh, Nawaz Sharif, who was uh, pushed out of office. Uh, Sharif, incidentally, while having conducted, um, or at least participated in a three a non-consecutive turns as Pakistan's prime minister never actually managed to complete a full term. Uh, but yeah, Imran Khan is now the talk of the town uh, in in Southeast a- uh, in South Asia. Um, regional leaders, uh, certainly policymakers in the United States are trying to get their heads around where this guy is going to take Pakistan. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of sort of unflattering analogies comparing Imran Khan as the so-called, you know, Trump of Pakistan. Um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but he certainly does have a populist streak. And the uh, rhetoric that he brought to the Pakistani public sphere in the years before he uh, finally succeeded in becoming prime minister, uh, I'm thinking here, let's say between uh, 2014, 2016, when he, you know, was leading large-scale protests in Islamabad and the like, uh, have left a few people wary. But um, his initial rhetoric has been cautiously welcomed by some people as sort of signaling an intention to, you know, pursue regional peace and uh, work against, uh, you know, Pakistan's uh, internal problems, economic problems. But we've heard all this before um, from Pakistani leaders. Uh, But anyways, Prashant, uh, before I start rambling too much, uh, I do want to ask you about your sort of general impressions. You know, you've been reading about this guy for a while now. Um, What do you uh, what do you really expect to see out of uh, Imran Khan? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that general framing is, is, is very useful as a starting point because you, you do have these various sort of balances that uh, any Pakistan leader would have ha- had to walk, and certainly Imran Khan will have to do that too, right? So you you sort of talked about this notion, you know, every time Pakistan holds an election, there's this notion of regardless of who wins, does it, you know, to what extent does that really matter and how much control will they have on foreign policy because of this sort of civil military dynamic that has yet to be resolved. You have all these domestic problems, um, you know, whether it's, you know, energy, economic, climate change issues. And then you have just these geopolitical uh, issues and rivalries that Pakistan has to navigate, you know, Saudi Arabia, Iran, U.S., China, um, the relationship with India. And so, I mean, there's just so many fronts uh, for Imran Khan or any leader to negotiate. But I think what people will be looking for is, as you pointed out, first and foremost, how will he kind of sort out Pakistan's domestic problems if if he's able to? How will he manage ties with the military? And then how will he sort of manage Pakistan's external alignments? I mean, chiefly, you know, China, U.S., but also, I mean, significant other 
relationships too. I mean, you've written a lot about Afghanistan. Um, there's, you know, Iran, Saudi Arabia, so many different players for Pakistan to navigate. And I do think that, you know, we've talked a lot about these in, on the podcast about several other instances where you do have these populist leaders coming to office and they have to kind of, despite what they say on the campaign, they have to sort of balance the domestic considerations they have with foreign policy because you, you can't choose your geopolitics. I mean, part of it is the consequence of the geo part of it, which is your geographic location and what other powers uh, are doing around the neighborhood. And I think Imran Khan will probably find out uh, that very quickly. Um, but I do want to sort of go back to what you mentioned at, at the start, which is Pakistan's domestic problems. I mean, one of those problems is in the economic uh, dimension where you've had, you know, a balance of payments crisis. And there's been all these commentaries and talk, including, you know, a number of commentaries on our website as well, which I'd encourage listeners to check out about how Imran Khan is going to deal with these, you know, this whole array of domestic challenges. How do you think he's going to fare on that front? Yes, I mean, there's two really significant challenges to talk about, and both of them actually have pretty clear um, geopolitical underpinnings as well, uh, you know, just to bring it back to the theme of our podcast. Uh, so the first one, uh, which I think is actually a really good example of what you were alluding to, you know, this idea that Imran Khan, uh, more so than anyone else, maybe in Pakistani politics, uh, has, you know, really campaigned in poetry, and now he has to govern in prose, you know, the, the weight of actually being in office can be humbling for um, these kinds of populist parties at some time. So I think Imran Khan is certainly going to wrangle with that. Uh, so the first crisis uh, facing him is the uh, balance of payments crisis. Uh, Pakistan will probably need a bailout. Uh, the numbers I've seen are anywhere between 8 billion US dollars to 12 billion US dollars um, from the International Monetary Fund. And um, this would be, you know, not a new thing for Pakistan. Pakistan's gotten about 13 of these bailouts before, and it's gotten uh, independent bailouts. The Saudis have um, bailed out the Pakistanis in the past as well. Um, but the geopolitical angle to this is actually quite interesting, um, and it really comes from the uh, Trump administration staking out a position on any sort of um, bailout at the IMF. Essentially, uh, so Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, U.S. Secretary of State, said that he would oppose uh, a, um, a bailout at the IMF um, where the United States uh, holds a significant voting share if um, if the funds were effectively going to bail out Chinese bondholders. Um, and as our listeners might be aware, China has been sinking several billions of dollars in investment into Pakistan uh, under the uh, aegis of the Pakistan Economic Corridor, which was announced in early 2014. It's sort of the crown jewel of the Belt and Road Initiative in many ways. And uh, so now this um, a balance of payments problem uh, for Imran Khan really creates uh, a, a huge issue because um, the Chinese certainly don't be uh, willing to, uh, you know, sink further billions into Pakistan to uh, effectively unilaterally bail the country out. So this will sort of turn into a major showdown at the IMF, and the United States might decide that this can be an important point of leverage because this also connects back to um, the broader decline in U.S.-Pakistan relations. Um, I don't know if many people remember, but actually the very first presidential tweet uh, that began this year was uh, Trump lashing out against Pakistan. Um, so the Trump administration has made good on that. Uh, coalition support fund uh, reimbursements were again cut off, and um, the administration has been, has been taking a, a, a tough stand on Pakistan, even thinking about potentially sanctioning members of the military. Um, but this bailout issue might actually turn into a point of leverage geopolitically. 
the other issue is terrorism. Um, this is where Imran Khan is uh, a complicated figure. Uh, less charitable descriptions of him have called him a Taliban sympathizer, that he effectively um, sees no problem with the kinds of groups that the U.S. has tried to get Pakistan to crack down on in the past, right? So here's another area where I see Pakistan and the United States sort of running into further friction. Uh, friction. Uh, you know, the the longstanding U.S. demand that Pakistan and the Pakistani military crack down on the Haqqani network has always been given lip service by Pakistani civilian leaders. Now now we might not even get that uh, on one level under Imran Khan. But again, uh, it's hard to say because, uh, you know, uh, he has just come into office and sort of the realities of what it means to govern Pakistan might sink in and we might see him behave rather conventionally. Um, and that sort of, you know, takes us towards the uh, other issue of whether or not Imran Khan will even have a uh, a real foreign policy. Um, but, you know, this issue that you brought up of the military, Prashant, I think is really well taken. Uh, do you want to maybe talk a bit more about that? What are you, you know, what are your expectations, I guess, for the civil military, uh, for the future of the civil military relationship in Pakistan? Do you see uh, any kind of change or mostly are we expecting continuity here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's probably the, the one of the biggest questions here with, with Imran Khan, because I think we, you know, whenever, as you think you mentioned in the intro, whenever we go through an election cycle in Pakistan, you have a civilian leader come into office, you, you, you know, you have some folks wishing that this time will be different, and um, there will be some assertion of, of civilian control of the military. But, you know, we've seen this in the past where we have civilian leaders trying to challenge the military on on issues of key national interest to Pakistan, you know, whether it's uh, India or terrorism. And that usually only ends one way. Um, and so, it, you know, the big question is whether it's going to be the same uh, this time. I mean, I think that a more refined uh, version of that question is what you asked, which is, you know, where can we expect uh, continuity and where can we expect change? I mean, if you look at, you know, the evolution of Pakistan's regional environment the last few years, I mean, you do have these intensifying geopolitical rivalries, right? So you have the Belt and Road Initiative, which kind of has exposed Pakistan's dependence, but you also have the United States waging this sort of free and open Indo-Pacific uh, vision and the Trump administration uh, taking a particular line about how they want countries to behave economically and strategically with China. So how does that sort of play into how Imran Khan can you know, navigate? Does that give him less room or, or potentially more room uh, to navigate and leverage between those extremes? And then the Trump administration has also created a, di a dynamic with Iran-Saudi uh, Arabia relations in the Middle East too, right? Which um, complicates ties for countries and Pakistan is one of them, which is, you know, Pakistan is trying to manage these relations with various Middle Eastern countries. But when you have the Trump administration um, trying to take a clear line about where countries need to be, um, you have countries like Pakistan being being caught there. And I think it's, it's important to also note, um, you know, we, we've dealt with uh, these uh, issues and, and various dimensions of this with respect to several other countries, right, which might be sort of significant or influential states. We talked about Malaysia before on this podcast, where, I mean, a, a lot of the threads of the conversation are similar, maybe not the civil military relationship, but definitely the Belt and Road Initiative and how Malaysia is navigating that dynamic. Um, you know, the Trump administration and, and the Indo-Pacific, but also, you know, these countries are also navigating a lot of domestic uh, political and economic dynamics that they have to face. Um, I suspect it's going to be similar for Pakistan, but where uh, the element that's different and unpredictable um, is, you know, with respect uh, to the military. There, I, I think one of the elements 
that's really interesting is, I mean, Imran Khan, in rhetoric at least, um, appears anti-American in terms of what he said on the on the election campaign. But as you pointed out, I mean, once you come to power, I mean, you have to kind of have to grapple with the fact that the military and Pakistan in general has always needed uh, a certain element of closeness in its relationship with the United States. So how does he balance uh, that consideration with mm-hmm. uh, his own personal views? I think that's going to be the, the key trend to watch. Yeah, that's that's right. I think the the military's interests here are important to take into account. Um, you know, I, I think a good case study might be Afghanistan, right? So I think um, for the Trump administration's strategy on Afghanistan, there probably couldn't have been a worse development than uh, Imran Khan uh, becoming prime minister. Um, Imran Khan really does harbor sympathies uh, for the cause of the Taliban, right? So this idea of, um, you know, a final resolution of Afghanistan being some kind of political settlement with the Taliban uh, entering sort of reconciliation talks with the Afghan government, playing an active political role um, in Afghanistan. A lot of that, I think, Imran Khan could really stomach quite well. Uh, the United States still hasn't been willing to pursue political rapprochement, right? The Trump administration strategy announced last August uh, in, in Afghanistan is essentially that we're going to keep killing terrorists until we uh, somehow win, despite the fact that, you know, the um, the Taliban, the Islamic State are are able to f- effectively wait out the United States for mm-hmm. as long as they have to. Um, so as far as Imran Khan goes, I mean, that is one major flashpoint, I think, with the United States. Um, and certainly that has been when he was um, in charge in um, in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa. He, uh, you know, led protests to sort of clamp down on NATO supply lines to Afghanistan mm. um, through northern Pakistan. So that's all fine and well. But the military, uh, as you know, it has a more complicated relationship with the Americans, right? Uh, the Americans are a major source of patronage for the Pakistani military, major source of um, equipment, um, support. And yes, we are seeing sort of slow signs of Pakistan beginning to cooperate with Russia. Um, Pakistani officers are uh, traveling there for um, military exercises and training for the first time uh, uh, since the end of the Cold War. Um, And during the Cold War, Russia and Pakistan uh, certainly had their differences, even though it wasn't a total um, enmity. I mean, certainly during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, it got a lot worse. But but yeah, we're you know we're seeing this sort of complex um, geopolitical picture play out a bit um, on the on the Afghan front. But that isn't to say that. Uh, you know, Imran Khan, he might be the chosen one by the military, which is what certainly the conventional wisdom went um, right before the election. But we've seen this again in the past. Uh, Nawaz Sharif was once the military's chosen candidate, uh, and then he was ousted in a coup. And certainly when he returned to the scene, had a very acrimonious relationship with the military. So things can change. Um, and Khan might find himself sort of um, a force to act differently. I mean, this is actually, you know, if there's one theme here that I'm really looking to emphasize, it's that I really think that for a party like PTI and for um, a person like Imran Khan, the the actual reality of what it means to govern a country like uh, Pakistan is going to set in pretty quickly, and it already might be setting in. Um, yeah, and then you know the other the other front that we might briefly discuss, Prashant, is the relationship with India. Um, this was uh, you know a lot of Western commentary on Imran Khan, I think. St- talked about this uh, just because that's a common topic of interest. But uh, really, I mean, I'm quite doubtful that uh, India will be looking to reciprocate or take any bold measures with Pakistan in the short term. Um, India has its own general elections next year, less than a year from now in in roughly May uh, 2019. And uh, for the BJP, um, the current governing party in India, uh, led by Prime Minister Narendra Modi, um, the prospect of undertaking some kind of bold diplomatic maneuver with Pakistan, I think, is 
high risk and high reward. And I'm not sure that that's where the uh, party's energies will really be focused right now. Um, for effectively since uh, 2016, the uh, the Indian approach to Pakistan has just been to um, relatively uh, ignore Pakistan on a diplomatic level and, and manage the uh, the threat in uh, Kashmir on a uh, on a more practical level. Uh, so that's that's sort of my baseline expectation. I don't know if you uh, agree with that or disagree with that. I mean, I think so. I mean, it it is a case where you know you're seeing a lot of these domestic uh, political alignments play out in different countries and and affecting their geopolitical calculations. And I think. You know, India, given the past record of uh, various attempts at recalibrating the relationship with Pakistan, I think would be uh, appropriately cautious. Um, and again, you know, since this is a geopolitical podcast, as we always emphasize, you know, India's geopolitical environment has gotten particularly tougher the last few years as well. Um, it, and that is a consideration in how it manages relationship with Pakistan, whether it's um, not just China, but also its relationship with the United States, um, with the Trump administration, has also been a bit more complicated. Even though the starting premise of the Indo-Pacific vision has been that you know India should be kind of at, at the front and center of U.S.-Asia policy, then the Indians have been quite cautious and a little bit um, upset at some of the developments that we're seeing on, on on the economic front and some of the 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 earlier moves of the Trump administration. So that creates, I mean, a no shortage of concerns for the Indians. I do think, you know, one one of these the other elements that be interesting to watch is um, how the Pakistanis navigate the relationship between the Iranians and the Saudis, because I think the Middle Eastern dynamics and relationships have gotten also, I mean, fundamentally tougher, but also more polarized, it seems, in the last few years. And I mean, the Trump administration is one source of that, but, you know, the Middle East has really never been a happy place for <laughs> these alignments in general. Um, so I think that's kind of another place mm -hmm. where I'd, I'd be interesting to, interested to see um, how Imran Khan uh, tries to negotiate that. I think there have already been some early meetings uh, scheduled, so it'd be interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think I mentioned it on the podcast before, but I've been working on, uh, I've actually spent the past year sort of writing a report for uh, USIP on this precise topic of how Pakistan's navigated the uh, post-2016 divide between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, under Nawaz Sharif, it was actually a pretty interesting approach. Uh, and there was actually... Um, you know, uh, the former chief of military staff, um, a chief of army staff, uh, Rahil Sharif and Nawaz Sharif, the two of them uh, actually sort of went shoulder to shoulder and traveled to Tehran and Riyadh to sort of um, mediate uh, after the uh, the large scale protest broke out in Tehran after the execution of uh, Sheikh uh, Nimr al-Nimr, the, uh, the Shia Sheikh in uh, in Saudi Arabia, uh, which caused um, massive protests and the breaking of diplomatic ties between the two countries. And certainly Pakistan's relationship with Saudi Arabia historically is very interesting. And the uh, country's move in 2015 to hold neutral as the Saudi campaign in Yemen began, uh, that neutrality has since eroded. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot there for Imran Khan. I think broadly Imran Khan, though, if I had to... Um, you know, guess I think that he's probably going to um, rebalance Pakistan a little bit more uh, towards Iran, um, mm -hmm. even even though the military I think will um, institutionally still be bound to the Saudis for uh, a variety of reasons, uh, historical and practical. So that's another area actually to watch for um, potential civil military tensions. I mean, uh, those certainly can flare up um, depending on how Iran Khan chooses to proceed with Iran. The two countries do have uh, complicated. Um, set of disputes around the uh, the Balochistan border uh, between the mm -hmm. two sides. Um, the other final thing I'll say is, 
I think the relationship with China could get quite interesting. Um, right now, it does seem like Imran Khan is sort of holding to the old, uh, you know, sweeter than honey approach to the Pakistan-China bilateral <laughs> relationship. Um, it's been a very, very positive transition from China's perspective. Uh, both sides have been rather, you know, happy with the the way things have played out. Imran Khan doesn't immediately appear to be uh, to cause a problem for the Chinese relationship with Pakistan, but. But, you know, this whole populist streak is starting to, um, it, it, it's possible to imagine a situation where Chinese investment in Pakistan, we're starting to see glimpses of this, you know, the idea that China is colonizing Pakistan with all of this uh, debt that it's spreading around the country, that could sort of come back to maybe bite this government a little bit. Uh, right now, the Pakistani public does continue to support uh, Chinese involvement in Pakistan. China's kind of seen as the country's biggest supporter on the international stage. But uh, that could change. And there's also the possibility that um, Afghanistan, where Chinese interests, frankly, are a little bit closer to U.S. interests here than Imran Khan. So if uh, the Pakistan-Afghanistan relationship begins to take a, uh, a downward turn or more broadly, the Taliban begin to make more headway in, in Afghanistan on the battlefield and the Pakistanis are effectively willing to live with that, uh, that could also create another source of friction with, with China. So that's just a couple things to watch for here, I think. No, absolutely. I, I think the, the flag on China is, is be particularly interesting um, because I think the, the Chinese have been very careful about how they are talking with talking about some of these Belt and Road projects with countries saying, yeah, you know, I mean, there are, are these economic issues, but, you know, we can work them out and, you know, we, we'll work with whichever government comes to power. But the reality is, you know, we've been talking about so many cases in this podcast. We talked about Sri Lanka. We're talking now about Pakistan. We talked about uh, Malaysia. Several cases now where um, the Chinese have really had to battle uh, after changes in governments to kind of recalibrate and renegotiate relationships, projects, but also dealing not just with governments, but also dealing with their populations. So I, I think that definitely is something to watch going forward. All right. Well, we'll keep a close eye on developments in Pakistan. Uh, in the meantime, Prashant, thanks a lot for joining me. Yeah, good to be with you. Great. And uh, for listeners, as usual, if you like what you hear on the podcast, make sure you subscribe on either iTunes or Google Play. And if you've been a subscriber for a while, but you haven't um, left us a review on either service, please do so as well. It really helps get the word out about the show. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back next week with more.